This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. If you were listening last week, and I certainly hope you were, we uh, did make you a couple of promises for this week's show. One that I would tell you about the trip that was imminent to Great Basin National Park in eastern Nevada. And uh, that promise I'm going to keep. But the second that we would uh, air our interview with John Lissack is going to be postponed a week. John is 105 years old, and believe you me, he's got some great stories of things that he took part in. But to do it right, I'm going to have to process our conversation just a little bit further. So we'll do that next week. So without further ado, let's talk about uh, a little adventure I embarked upon. Hearing a few months back that there was going to be a Dark Skies Festival in late September in Great Basin National Park, I certainly thought that was a twofer. I've heard about the drive across Highway 50 through Nevada's Great Basin. Well, Nevada is part of the Great Basin in the western part of the U.S., wherein the snowmelt never sees the ocean. It, re- it is retained within inside the perimeter of this large basin. This has led to things like salt lakes. In fact, it led to the Great Salt Lake. And having taken that drive across Highway 80 on many occasions out to Salt Lake City, Utah, I thought I had a feel for the interior of the state of Nevada, but boy... Uh, I was wrong. If you go on a parallel path south of Interstate 80 on Highway 50, which is not an interstate designation, you'll find, well, it's been called the loneliest highway in America. Apparently Life Magazine labeled it that back in the 1980s in a somewhat unfavorable portrait, and (laughs) the Nevadans decided to embrace it. So they put up highway signs advertising themselves as the loneliest highway in America. And uh, boy, you know, an hour an hour east of Carson City, you're in Fallon, a little town. And once you head east to the Utah border and leave Fallon, you really only have three towns of any size. I mean, like like over 1,500: Austin, Eureka, and Ely. And if you, if, in your opinion, to earn the designation town, you got to have 4,000 people. I'm pretty sure only Ely qualifies. What that means is there's not a lot of cars on the road, and there's a lot of road, and there's just out there in the middle of nowhere, you've got these mountain ranges, range after range. You have to go over nine different passes along this journey. Um, And, well, it's just a lot more beautiful than I realized. Past the midpoint of the state, uh, the ridges... uh, get higher. And, you know, if you look at that map in Nevada, there's all these parallel north to south mountain ranges. Um, Depending on how you divide them up, some say there's 200. But uh, the ones in the east are a little bit higher up in the sky and manage to extract a little more moisture out of the the passing air masses, and you find forests. I've always wanted to see a bristlecone pine forest, and by gosh, Wheeler Peak in the Great Basin National Park did accommodate Pretty cool to be standing there looking at a tree that started growing in 1200 B.C. Another one uh, grew for like 2,500 years and died 300 years ago, but there it still stands. 
I guess when you grow real slowly, you lay down very dense bits of wood that are, uh, well, pretty resistant to the elements. They'll last a long time. If you've contemplated doing such a trip, my dear listener, I advise you to do so. I, I found the whole thing to be something of a pleasant surprise, as was Great Basin National Park. It is dominated by Wheeler Peak, 13,000 and change. Uh, I think it falls about 70 or 80 feet short of being Nevada's tallest mountain, which uh, happens to be on the borderline between California and Nevada. But Wheeler does not disappoint. Like I said, it's got its own bristlecone pine forest. And it's got caves. The Lehman Caves. They were worth a tour. Uh, including some of the tall tales that were told about in Discovery. At least the tall tales told by Absalom Lehman. Who reportedly uh, used this set of caves on his property to make a buck. He reportedly would give people a candle... Tell them to go down into the cave, and if they didn't come out in 24 hours, he'd go in looking for them. At one point, the park ranger turned the lights down and showed what you could see with a lamp. Not a candle, but a lamp. And, uh, well, it, uh, it wasn't much. You were pretty much surrounded by spooky darkness and the usual stalactites and stalagmites and cave accoutrements. I got a feeling if Absalom Lehman sent people down to the caves and charged them a dollar and gave them a candle, he probably made a lot more money going back in and fishing them out. But uh, the organizing event for this adventure, the Dark Skies Festival, was also very cool. Once you get away from city lights, which all of us should do on a regular basis, you get to again see what the sky is supposed to look like. The Milky Way is spectacular. And with basically zero light pollution and clean air where we were, it, it, I, that was really the only time I think I can say I have seen the Milky Way go from horizon to horizon. And it is a sight to behold. A lot of telescopes were set up and people were uh, being treated, at, uh, treated to views of Jupiter and Saturn. Unfortunately, both are rather low in the sky and had kind of boiling images through the, uh, the centerpiece. I knew that Neptune and Uranus were both supposed to be above the eastern horizon, so I asked uh, one guy with a scope if he could find them, and he basically plugged it into a computer, zit, 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 zit. Next thing you know, his scope is point, pointing at the two planets. It was the first time I have laid eyes on Neptune, which looked like a very small blue dot. But it was just a hint of a circle. It was not the point of a star. Uranus was much larger and did look more respectably planet-like. It is visible to the naked eye at this time of year. I was hoping that once the guy found it in the scope, I could then spot it with binoculars or with the naked eye, but no such luck. Very fun stuff. If this sort of thing interests you at all, um, I suggest you uh, plan to pack up and go to a dark skies area when uh, they are holding one of these, uh, these festivals and, and take it in. Now, over the years, I've learned quite a, quite a bit about the sky. I can honestly say that I probably could have given the lecture given by one of the park rangers, or I could have given most of it. Oh, I should mention one of the showstoppers of this, in that the Andromeda Galaxy is the farthest object the human eye can see. Well, that's not exactly true. There are a couple other galaxies you can just barely make out, but they're tough. The Andromeda Galaxy is not that tough, and the light... 
that reaches your retinas left 2.5 million years ago. The galaxy is 2.5 million light years away. When you're in a truly dark sky area, the, what's remarkable about Andromeda is how big it is. There's a fuzzy spot up there looking very Milky Way-ish, but it's almost the size of a full moon, though very dim, of course. Anyway, to any of you who have never uh, never taken in this spectacle up in the sky, I recommend that you put it on your bucket list. What I have put on my bucket list from this astronomical extravaganza is that, well, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit the fact that I, I, I do know the stars reasonably well, but I, I just, I, I'm just, I'm just not able to find Aquarius. I mean, the other 11 in the Zodiac, no problemo. Mr. Milton does like to point out that technically there are 13 in the Zodiac. And astronomically speaking, this is true. I have no trouble, by the way, finding Ophiuchus, number 13. But I thought this was my opportunity. The park ranger was up there. He was on a roll. He's picking out this. He's picking out that. And I just kind of said, Ranger Ted, could, do you think you could find Aquarius? That one always gives me trouble. He kind of looked up, looked around, said, well, you know, I, I, I know these pretty well. I don't, know them, I don't know them all cold. And he looked up and kind of said, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I think it's still rising. And I realized, well, it's not just me. So I felt a lot better about this deficiency. But I vow to you. Before this month is up, I'm going to go out there and be able to find it cold. And I most decidedly will do this without an app helping me. One sad aspect of all this is realizing that when I first started picking out the stars with my dad back as, as a boy and, you know, used that golden guide to astronomy, or it was, it was called the stars, I think it was, those little wonderful books they sold. And, you know, that's, you know if you've never really done this, that, that's not a bad way to start. If you can find one of those wonderful little books... But back in the day, in the Bay Area, you could find the Andromeda Galaxy. You could find these, uh, 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 these constellations. You could see the Milky Way. And, uh, well, it just, it just ain't so anymore. Something else I feel like talking about since we last went on the air was that I stumbled upon a list I made of movies to see before 1990. I'm not sure when I made this list. I, it, it must have been in the early 80s. And I was pleased to note that, uh, you know, I've ticked off quite a few of them in the meantime, but unfortunately, uh, that's the good news. The bad news is I've got quite a lot of these classic uh, movie selections to still take in. One that was not on the list was any of the versions that have been done. I think there have been many of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. But I'm pleased to report that I was taken under the wing of the member of the Jane Austen Book Club in Sacramento who had a copy of the most recent version of this with Kira Knightley, and I have to say, it was awfully good. And now I'm feeling a bit bad about the fact that I have not read any Jane Austen, but obviously should. And speaking of books, The Week magazine always puts in every issue the book list and asks this or that celebrity or distinguished person to, to create a list of books they recommend people read. Last week's issue, it might have been the week before, I'm not sure which, had based, had best books chosen by Caitlin Doughty. And no, I've, I'd never heard of her either, but she's apparently a Los Angeles mortician and the author of two bestsellers. She's also the host of the YouTube series Ask a Mortician, which, which I'm guessing must be enormously popular. Actually, it might be because she's obviously got, uh, got a little wit about her. Among her best books recommended to the public 
while heading the list was The American Way of Death by Jessica Mitford, 1963. That was a muckraking book. It was quite, uh, quite, quite an expose and uh, still a good read these 60 years later. According to Caitlin Doughty, Los Angeles mortician, this book remains the Bible of the secretive and excessive practices of the American funeral industry, and she ought to know. But <laughs> I love her quoting Jessica Mitford. But I love the quote she selected from Jessica Mitford. She said, Jessica Mitford once said, you may not be able to change the world, but at least you can embarrass the guilty. You know, I think that is one of the goals of Radio Parallax, or at least a motto we should probably embrace from Jessica Mitford. You may not be able to change the world, but at least you can embarrass the guilty. You know, we do actually have a secondhand Jessica Mitford story. The late Bill Turner, FBI agent uh, and muckraking journalist extraordinaire, is uh, without a doubt one of the few people who actually stood up to J. Edgar Hoover while he was an FBI agent and got away with it. For some reason, the FBI did not like Jessica Mitford and her exposeing ways, and I guess had her under surveillance, I presume wiretaps. Bill Turner at one point had to listen to some of these to see if there was any, any interesting nuggets among them, and I'm pretty sure he didn't find any. After he left the FBI and a few years had passed, he was at a party somewhere in San Francisco and he heard this familiar voice, and he went over and said, oh, you're Jessica Mitford, and he then explained how it was he knew that. And they apparently both got quite a laugh over the whole matter. Another book she recommended was Stiff, The Curious Lives of Human Cadavers, which is the the book that put uh, Mary Roach on the map. We've been privileged to have Mary on the show three times, but not to discuss that book, which to date I have not yet read. Ooh, there's some homework. And before I jump into the good, bad, and the ugly, which I would like to do in a moment, I think sometimes it's good to pause and, and just, you know, we think things are kind of grim sometimes politically here in the U.S. when we look at how we're not taking on issues like global warming. And we see how the Trump administration is investigating uh, uh, Hillary Clinton's use of emails and, and James Comey. Oh, oh not, his, not his hubbub about Hillary Clinton's emails, but the stuff he did later that, that Trump didn't like. Oh, and I guess, I don't know, 50 minutes into this show, we probably should pause and mention the unusual event taking place in the last week, which was that the House is actually opening up an impeachment inquiry. We'll have stuff to say about that in our second segment, rest assured. But uh, from the It Could Be Worse file, we have of two items, uh, Dateline Zimbabwe and Haiti. First off, in Zimbabwe, a country we've talked about a lot because, you know, I, I, I traveled to it three decades ago. Uh, I had my life, well, literally saved by a the quick actions of a Zimbabwe truck driver who avoided hitting my stalled-out car on a Zimbabwean road so that I did not, in fact, become African road pizza. We've chronicled on this program the sad story of what has happened to Zimbabwe under its inept leadership. First from Robert McGough. Well, you know, I don't want to get into that right now, but just, you know, again, how bad can things get? In Harare, Zimbabwe, the capital, two million people were left without tap water after the government ran out of foreign currency to pay for imported chemicals, and so they shut down the main water treatment plant. The poor people in Harare are suffering water shortages, power cuts, drought. Many people in the suburbs have running water for just a few hours a week. And no, 
there's no good reason for this except what happens when you have a bad government. And speaking of bad government or members of bad governments, the Dateline Haiti story is as follows. A Haitian senator opened fire during a protest outside the country's parliament this week and wounded two men, one of them an Associated Press photojournalist. Footage showed Senator Jean-Marie Ralph Fiter pulling out a handgun and shooting into the air after a crowd shouting, Thief! accosted him as he got into his car. Journalist Sherry Du Nalio was wounded in the face and a security guard was also injured. The incident occurred as the Senate made its second attempt to confirm the new prime minister. The first attempt earlier this month ended in chaos when someone poured gasoline on the Senate floor. And a senator accused Michelle and Senate leader Carl Marat, tentative of trying to bribe lawmakers. I guess all you can say to that is if somebody lit a cigarette when all that gasoline was on the floor, we'd probably have quite a different story that came out of Port-au-Prince. And I suppose the most cynical among us would probably offer a line of reasoning that, sure, you can burn up all those politicians, but they'll just find new ones. Which, by the way, is not an editorial position of Radio Parallax. Anyway, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you know, from our summer hiatus, we still have a surplus of some of these items. So let's, let's throw in some extra ones. In fact, I got three goods, two bads, and two uglies. According to the week, it was a good week, this is last week, for the hungover, who are suffering from a legitimate illness, according to a German court. This ruling comes as a blow to the makers of over-the-counter hangover remedies who will no longer be allowed to make unsupported health claims. I'm sorry to say that in this, the medical profession isn't as much help as it could be, but uh, doctors are told to recommend to patients that if you are going to drink, drink lots of water and stay hydrated. That'll, you know, keep some of the pounding out of your head. It was also a good week last week for biblical wit, with the news that a church in Ohio used its road sign to urge the thieves who stole its brand new air conditioner to keep it, since, quote, it's hot where you're going, unquote. And a couple weeks back, it was a good week for comebacks when the news came out that vinyl records are on a pace to outsell compact discs for the first time since 1986. Fueled by hipsters and audiophiles, the vinyl resurgence coincides with a slump in sales of CDs, which are losing market share to online streaming services. Sad to note that vinyl is being helped by online streaming, but uh, I guess it is. Gotta take the bad with the good. Mr. Miller, I think these next two items are going to require some sound effects. And you've chosen perfectly for this item, which is that the week notes it was a bad week a couple weeks back for Harry Potter books. Evidently, after consulting with Vatican exorcists, the pastor of St. Edward's Catholic School in Tennessee has banned the Harry Potter series from the school library. The Reverend Dan Rehill wrote to parents, These books present magic as both good and evil, which is not true. He warned that the curses and spells used in the books are actual curses and spells, and therefore risk, quote, conjuring evil spirits into the presence of the person reading the text, end quote. 
Now, we're curious here at Radio Parallax as to whether uh, any of you out there in our listening audience are aware of anyone who has conjured actual evil spirits into their presence through the use of the curses and spells used in the Harry Potter books. If you know anyone that's happened to, please drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. And in fact, drop us a line uh, at info at radioparallax.com for anything you want to communicate to us. We have heard from few listeners of late, and then I attribute this to our summer hiatus, but it's time we got back in communication. All right, bad item number two. We would have to say that it was a bad week a few weeks back, without doubt, for law enforcement with the news that a Florida school resources officer, and no, I'm not sure exactly what a resources officer is, but we know what one did. This one in Florida got fired after he arrested two six-year-old children in separate incidents. Marilyn Kirkland, grandmother of six-year-old Kayla Roll, said that Officer Dennis Turner handcuffed her daughter after she had a tantrum in class and took her to a juvenile detention center in a police car for fingerprinting and mugshots. Said the grandma, a literal mugshot of a six-year-old. How do you do that? All right, moving right along. It was an ugly week a few weeks back for America's idiotic court system, which in our opinion seems to allow any idiot to sue anybody else whether, they have, whether the case has merit or not. And if your reaction to that is, oh, surely you exaggerate, sir. Well, I offer this in rebuttal. A Tennessee man is suing Popeyes for $5,000 for running out of chicken sandwiches. Craig Barr is claiming that he has wasted countless time driving between Popeyes franchises, searching for the elusive sandwich, and has suffered mockery from his friends. Well, not just his friends, but also Radio Parallax. Barr has commented, I can't get happy. I have this sandwich on my mind. It just consumes you. All right, final item. It was an ugly week last week for Islamophobia with the news that an American Airlines flight from Alabama to Texas was grounded after two Muslim passengers waved at each other. Isam Abdallah says that when he greeted an acquaintance on the roof Alka-Walden, the cabin crew told him they were not comfortable and were canceling the flight. Think of that. Two Muslim guys wave to each other. <laughs> They're taking their seats, apparently, and they decide to ground the flight. American Airlines has said it would reach out to the two men to better understand their experience. I think they should spend some time working out their moronic policies and bad attitudes. But that's just me. Since we're taking a rather lighthearted approach uh, in this particular segment of today's show, I think we'll just continue with news from the weird. Turns out that actress Felicity Huffman did get sentenced to 14 days in federal prison for paying a $15,000 bribe to have her daughter's SAT scores inflated so she could get into college. Huffman cried in court and apologized to her daughter, her husband, William Macy, and to students, parents, colleges, and universities who have been impacted by her participation in a major college admissions bribery scheme. Huffman's going to have to pay $30,000 in fines, perform 250 hours of community service, and report for prison October 25th. Huffman said she recalled thinking, turn around, turn around, while driving her daughter to the rigged test, but said, to my eternal shame, I didn't. 
Another 51 people have been charged in the nationwide cheating scheme, which parents allegedly paid a consultant, Rick Singer, sums ranging up to $6.5 million to get their children admitted to top colleges and universities. Which brings us to the issue of how really rich, powerful people have been doing this for decades. And I'm just not sure that uh, they've suffered for their efforts. And although I can't really back this up with hard facts, I have a sneaking suspicion that Fred Trump, when he got Donald admitted to the Wharton School, pulled some strings. Trump has claimed that he was at the top of his class at the Wharton School, despite the fact that one of his professors is on record as saying that Trump was the dumbest student he ever taught. And while the school has resisted revealing the transcripts or records of any of their students, the fact remains that they did hold a graduation that Donald Trump took part in, and recognition was given to the top students at Wharton. And what do you know, young Donald apparently was not among them. And since I believe something like 50 students out of 300 received special commendations, that truly means that uh, the Donald couldn't have been, you know, better than about 55th out of 300. And there is the distinct possibility he might have been 297th out of 300. And geez, I sure hate to, to pause the program and take a break uh, after suggesting that the president might not always be straight with his facts, but I guess we'll have to do it. Got lots more in the second half. If you're listening to Radio Parallax, do stick around. <laughs> 